I'm Tom Morello, host of Maximum Firepower, a weekly podcast focusing on the music, the moments, and the movements that have shaped my worldview and left an indelible mark on me as an artist and activist. Correct with Maximum Firepower. You and me. This is Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. I am Tom Morello, and this is Maximum Firepower. It is my great honor to have my good friend Allison Hagendorf on the show. As far as non-musicians go, I would say she may very well be the most important person in rock and roll music in 2021. She does all of the rock programming and playlists for Spotify. And when I, first of all, Allison, hi, how are you? Hi, hi. I'm just, I'm blushing. I'm blushing at this introduction. Well, it's, it's, it, it's, it's true. It's true. And, and in this day and age where there's this kind of like, um, you know, this war of neighborhoods over playlists and this, that, and the other, your voice is a very, very important one in keeping rock and roll, not just alive, but helping it to thrive and f- both from established artists and new, and new artists. But when we first met some years ago, three or four years ago, I didn't have any idea what it was that you did at your job. I had Spotify. I listened to songs on Spotify, but now, but Claire, Clarify for all listeners for all time exactly what it is that you do as the queen of rock <laughs> at Spotify. I think of myself as the ultimate rock fan. So like you said, I, I'm actually not a musician, but I am the ultimate rock fan. And what I do, I'm sort of like the rock and roll ambassador. And I make sure that on Spotify, there's a team of us worldwide that they, that rock and roll is represented. So whether that's classic rock, the best rock of the 90s, but also evolving the genre. So making sure that every single week with new releases, we're representing and featuring new artists as well, because my entire mission as a human being is to also celebrate and evolve the genre. Yeah. So, so that like, so the biggest playlist thing is called Rock This, correct? Correct. Yes. And so then that, and that skews towards newer, like new releases of music, right? Exactly. Whether it's whether it's by artists that have made records for a while or brand new artists. I like prior to, you know, talking with you, I looked at that list. There's a lot of names on that list that I was unfamiliar with. And but but that you're exposing each week to millions and millions of rock fans to turn them on to the next generation of rock and roll music. Yeah, I think my whole like MO for rock this was it's not a format that exists anywhere else worldwide. It's not a radio format. It's not You can't find programming like that anywhere else. I felt like there was really a void for what the MO was for this list. And the MO for this list is the 50 most impactful songs right now. And that could be the new Foo Fighters song, or that can be a new song from an unsigned artist, like this guy Des Rocks, who I love. So it's just sort of 50 impactful songs that should be on your radar. Yeah, so so that's, I mean, that's the thing when we first talked, I found so, like, you listen to, like, thousands of songs every week. It's like, it's, you have a, a voracious appetite for rock and roll music, and also the ability to sort of parse out you know what? To, um, while all music is subjective, you're able to sort of parse out like what are the songs that are the newer ones that are going to make sense in the world or have traction in the world. I think like a sommelier who's tasted more wines than anyone else. Like yeah. I have a palate, like I have a, my ear, I have like a sonic palate where I hear so many songs that when something stops me in my tracks, I'm like, okay, let me lean in here, listen to this again, learn more about this artist. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, when you listen to as many songs as I do. The songs that stand out really stand out. Yeah. So, so, so one of the things we have in common is our great love of some of the more classic rocking rockers, including a band called Led Zeppelin, which you and I have talked about. In, <laughs> Best in, of all time. In great, in, in great detail. So, just pontificate. Well, and I, I will, I will after you do. But why, 
what do we love about Led Zeppelin? And tell me your favorite Led Zeppelin, like, in-person story. Well, I think if you were to say, like, what's my favorite music, it's bluesy rock and roll, blues-based rock and roll music. And Led Zeppelin really epitomizes that. It just all comes back to the blues, which I love. So for me, one, it's a blues rock and roll sound. Two, I mean, you have a band that's comprised of each member is a non-negotiable part of the band. Each each member is a sonic stamp. And then, of course, I love key front men. I mean, Robert Plant is one of the greatest of all time. And you have the quintessential dynamic duo. Yeah. So it's just like they strike every single box. They're one of the greatest live bands. Now, what's traumatizing for me is I've never seen Led Zeppelin live because I missed the boat. However, I did see the Page and Plant tour, yeah. which was like circa 97, Something I believe. Something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it like, look, it like changed my life. I've seen every video online. They are hands down my number one favorite band of all time. I wear the Led Zeppelin Vans every single day proudly. <laughs> I mean, the list goes on and on. My dedication and love for this band. Yeah, I uh, I did have the opportunity to see Led Zeppelin. I've shared the story with you, but I'll share it with, share it with our listeners. Was, yeah. I was 11 or 12 years old, uh, and I had already gone to one concert. My first concert was a Kiss concert. And I had tickets for Led Zeppelin in April 1977 at the Chicago Stadium. They were playing four nights there, and I had a ticket for night number two. Um, and But prior to buying the ticket and the concert, I had some horrible like foot injury where I was like slide, sliding around my house and I got a chunk of wood in my foot and I was in this big cast and in, in a lot of pain and the Led Zeppelin concert was looming. So my mom, a very careful woman with her only child, said, you may not go to the Led Zeppelin concert. I said, mom, that's just not, that can't be, that cannot be. Led Zeppelin are here in town and I have a ticket in my hand. So yes. I, you know, after, after weeks of her saying this is just not going to happen, I lobbied um, to have an independent arbitrator, which would be my physician, <laughs> Dr. Fields, uh, who would Brilliant. put the cast on. I said, can we go see Dr. Fields? And she, she allowed that. So we went to go see Dr. Fields, and there I am on crutches in this big cast. And I'm like, Dr. Fields, Led Zeppelin is playing in four days. I want to go to the concert. And my mom was like, of course, he could look at, I mean, look at him. He's hobbling around crutches. He's in pain. And Dr. Fields said, well, he is on crutches, and he is in pain, but he might as well be on crutches and in pain at the Led Zeppelin concert. And I was like, Oh my gosh, Dr. Fields. Best advice. So I went. So I went to the Led Zeppelin concert. And this is when, like, concerts now are much more, or the, the average arena show is a much more sanitized affair than it was in 1977. It was scary. There were people like OD, ODing on quaaludes, yeah. you know, like in the hallways and super shady dudes in the parking lot selling super shady t shirts, of which I bought one and I still have to this day. <laughs> of course. I don't remember ever being a size anywhere near. It looks like it's for like a <laughs> one year old. <laughs> and Led Zeppelin's like misspelled. It's, a, yeah. it's like a it's one year old like, yeah. shirt in the, all of the, the Led Zeppelin part is you know, like I was 12. Like who wore that? It was like a tiny, like a squirrel the size of a um, But I did get to see Led Zeppelin play and I remember being overwhelmed with the. I guess this might be more the aura than the music. You know, it wasn't like a kind of show where people were going ape shit. There was no pit. It's people sat kind of in this kind of religious reverence almost. You know what I mean? As like they, a trance. It was like a trance. Yeah. And they played these kind of like they expanded versions of their songs. And we were very sort of aware of what they were wearing and, and like and, and like Jimmy Page's shoes were making quite an impression. Um, but I do remember the, the, the highlight of the show for me was uh, I'm you're, you're likely familiar with the Led Zeppelin song remains the same soundtrack album, right? And on the yeah. song Stairway to Heaven, after he after Robert Plant sings, uh, and the forest will echo with laughter, he says on that record, does anyone remember laughter? And of course, yes. we, that was ingrained in all of our minds. So at the same moment, 
in this concert when he sang, and the forest will echo with laughter, Robert Plant said, does anyone remember forests? And we were all like, whoa. Oh, dude. my God. Wow, yes. he did. The, he flipped. Oh, my God. <laughs> 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 anyway, and it was uh, you it's know it was incredible. it was a it was a very it was a very formative moment for me, and so I was glad I got to see them. And I'm I'm sad that you didn't. So you didn't go to the the London concert when they did the reunion in whatever year that was, the one off for the Atlantic Records. Unacceptable! Something. It's unacceptable. unacceptable. You know what's so sad is I really didn't see a lot of my favorite bands yeah. live because I was too, I was too young. Honestly, did you see Nirvana? I never saw Nirvana, never saw Nirvana, which is yeah, like yeah, my yeah. other biggest tragedy because my other favorite band. That's what, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about Nirvana because sort of on the, in some ways, you know, checking a lot of the same uh, uh, mythic boxes was Nirvana, but really on the other end of the spectrum by embracing kind of this punk rock ethos and yet having this kind of world-class Beatles-like songwriting all in, all in one box. So tell me, expound on Nirvana and why they are on the um, pedestal for you. Yeah, I would say literally Led Zeppelin and Nirvana, my two favorite bands of all time. And for me at this time, I was really into like R&B popular culture music. Like yeah. I loved um, Boys to Men and Bobby Brown and En Vogue and Janet Jackson. And like, this is what I was listening to. Yeah. And I was at Suzanne Rosenberg's Bat Mitzvah in 1992 and it smells like Teen Spirit. <laughs> this is a true story. I remember exactly because yeah. it changed my life forever. I heard smells like Teen Spirit and I was confused about what I was hearing and feeling. And I remember yes. just starting to like jump and like grabbing people around me and jumping and freaking out. And I remember asking the DJ at the end of the song, like, who is this? It's like, oh, it's this new band called Nirvana. Fast forward to I come home, I beg my parents to drop me off at Tower Records. I was there for literally like 12 hours. I just wanted to learn everything I could about yeah. Nirvana. Yeah. And then I understood there was a whole Seattle movement. And I literally read every single article or thing you can read in Tower Records. And I was obsessed from that day forward. And that is when I really became obsessed with rock music. Wow. It was, oh, so Nirvana was your entry drug to rock and roll. It was. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then I went back and learned about Led Zeppelin and yeah. the Doors. Oh, I, oh interesting. Well, yeah. that's great. I mean, how great. I mean, what, that's, that's, that's fantastic. I, didn't, yeah. I, was, I was actually on Geffen Records with my band prior to Rage Against the Machine, band called Lockup. Um, and there was this uh, uh, executive there that I frankly had a little bit of a crush on. And she, was, and she was talking about this band that they had signed and this guy, Kurt Cobain, and just how, first of all, I was just like sort of seething and like just how awesome and how dreamy, and but in a different way than anyone had ever been dreamy before because he was like, <laughs> right. he was like shaggy and like sort of weird. And he wasn't like a typical rock star, but he wrote these songs. And I'm like, yeah, 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 that all sounds fantastic. But then the first time I really heard it was Zach and Tim in the early, before the, in the early days of Rage Against the Machine um, came up, they were living in Orange County and they came up in Zach's white truck and they played Smells Like Teen Spirit in the parking lot of our rehearsal space. And they said, you got to listen to this song. And they put it on and cranked it up. And on first listen, like, I couldn't, it just, like, I loved hard and heavy rock music. And I was familiar with Seattle. So, like, I, I loved Soundgarden at the time and Jane's Addiction were certainly checking boxes for me and being a new kind of hard rock music. But there was something about that particular song and the production on that song and the conviction, I didn't know what dude was singing about, but I believed right. every word of it. I was, you know, I knew that he meant it and I meant it. We, no one knows what's happening, but 
And we, we listened to it three times in a row, and the four of us just moshed around in the parking lot of Rage Against the Machine rehearsal. Right. And I was like, that's some good shit right there. And, I mean, it was, it was spiritual. It just sort of took over your yeah, body. You yeah. had never heard anything like that before or felt that way before. And then introduced the video to that song. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. game over, yeah, you know? Yeah. So it was the combination and so, just everything he represented it just he was so unkempt and yeah, raw and yeah. just emotive and he his angst was my angst and like it was just perfect and it was very and it was it was very relatable to for 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 musicians who were like club musicians cuz like the picture on the back, I'm not sure whether it's the, the Bleach record or what, but the, the picture on the back of the record where he's like falling over—that's at Raji's. That's a play. That's a club that we all played. That was, you know, it's right. capacity 80 people, and everyone in Hollywood had been on that stage. And now here was—it just made it, in the same way it affected me similarly to the way the, the Clash did. It felt like there was there was like no difference between what we were doing and what he was doing. It wasn't like you had to go through a bunch of funnels and get a bunch of, it's like he was a particularly talented version of it, but he came from the same ethos, like the same punk rock right. ethos. There was you know? nothing grandiose or like yeah. aspirational yeah. about it. Yeah, it was yeah. tangible. Yeah. It was accessible. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm, I'm, I, once we had made that Rage Against the Machine demo that we were working on then, I ran into Chris Novoselic at the, on the patio of the Coconut Teaser, which was another club where they played and we played. They were not playing that night, but he was there and he was very recognizable because he's super duper tall. And I was, yes. I was, you know, an, an ambitious young band member. And I rolled straight up on him. I'm like, hey, I'm Tom Morello. I play in a band called Rage Against the Machine. Here's our demo. Check it out. My number's on there. Please give me a call, dude. That's amazing. He didn't call. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't call. He didn't call. He was busy. He was very, he was very busy. busy. He was very busy. Yeah, I don't was, know that I got it. He was busy getting ready to throw that bass in there and have it land on his head. That's what he was getting busy. Oh, <laughs> my God. Yeah. Um, yeah, those epic photos you're talking about. I think a lot of those were by Charles Peterson. Uh, he's yeah. the one who, like, shot those photos of Kurt where he's, like, on his head. Yes, like, yeah, all yeah, these, yeah. Like, yeah. epic photos of him falling. Yeah. yeah. I'm Tom Morello, and this is Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. My guest is Allison Hagendorf, the queen of rock music at Spotify. Let's talk for a second because there's a there's a um a sto- an unsung hero story in that Seattle or of that kind of that moment in music where it was bands like Nirvana, Nirvana and Pearl Jam, I think, you know, were the ones that blew up in the world. Everyone heard them every everywhere. But it started with bands like you can even say like, you know, it, like it was Jane's Addiction and it was it was Soundgarden. And they they were bands that had one foot in the world of traditional hard rock music. But they had a they had punk rock souls you know and mm-hmm. so, and they yes. and they had and they wrote from a place that was not about groupies and the devil they wrote from a place right. that was about like this kind of like angsty experience and that combination of being able to fearlessly wade into riffs and kick ass zeppelin you know like on a pop right. bad company you know riffs but to have this kind of exposed poetry um, mm-hmm. and an intelligence to, frankly, an intelligence, intelligence. to it that, that was, was, mis- it. That was missing in, in, in the other stuff. To me, that's what that, the, the, at least the first wave of that era of, of great alternative bands was about. Do you have any thoughts on the subject? A hundred percent. I literally just had Duff McKagan and Stone Gossard on my show um, because, you know, um, Duff's band, The Living, which was his pre-Guns N' Roses punk band from Seattle, is resurfacing mm. for the first time, which is so exciting. Yeah. So we were kind of just talking about what was happening around that time in the late 80s. And it really was a crossroads. Yeah. It was sort of the first time where you had heavy metal 
classic rock, punk rock, yeah. all fused together yeah. simultaneously. Um, I even asked Stone who he thought the like progenitor of that movement was. And he said probably Mudhoney, you know, that it was Mudhoney, the Melvins, all these bands were happening at the same yeah. time. But it was really he 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 said it was really Mudhoney that kind of put that whole thing in the map was like the prototype of that movement. Yeah. But you're right. I think also just the fact that there was these artful, intelligent lyrics, like yes. going back to going back to Perry Farrell. Yes. I mean, he's just the godfather of alternative rock. I yeah. mean, he's just such a lyricist. He's yes. A poet. Yeah. Yeah. And so was Kurt, you know, yeah. so many yeah. of those guys were, yeah. and they all, what they all have in common also incredible front men. Yeah. So not oh, only yeah. do their lyrics resonate, mm -hmm. but the the performance of the lyrics and the way to connect, the connection mm -hmm. was really unparalleled. Yeah, and and you know, talking about Kurt too is like the 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 and, you know and Chris Cornell and and Eddie Vedder right. is that there was a it was a kind of performance that was not I don't know like I went to a million heavy metal shows and it was right. I loved it but in a way it was like the the best thing available and there were always elements to it in the performance aspect that just seemed goofy to me like I you know mm -hmm. I love the riffs and I love Dio and I love Iron Maiden I love all that stuff but there'd be like parts of the show where I'm just like Yee, you know <laughs> <laughs> well it was a lot about the production yeah, you know a lot yeah, of that yeah. was the production and the effects this was the antithesis of that e exactly this was the most unproduced yes. performance you could possibly see yeah. it was as <clears throat> undone and unkempt as you can be and i think it was that rawness yeah the vulnerability of it that really resonated with fans but it was but it was, the, but it was no less a show in a different right. way. Oh, yeah. It was no right, less a show. Right. I mean, when Eddie Vedder's, you know, 200 feet in the air. Hanging from the rafters. Defying death or, or I mean, or Chris, too, because Eddie got that from Chris. Chris was Chris right. was the first guy to go, first guy to go up. But then, but then, uh, um, you know, from the Nirvana shows where like the like the who like destruction of the gear and you really had no idea. Yes. Like the shows felt at least early on, the shows felt like really dangerous and unpredictable in a way that felt like the absolute essence of rebellious rock and roll was present in a way that it had been drained out of what was known as rock and roll, you know, on the charts and, um, and on the, you know, like the, the, all the heavy metal hair bands and things like that. So, uh, okay. So here's my next question for you. So, so let's so you've turned me on to a number of artists, a number of younger artists, some of which I've had the good opportunity to work with. Uh, but you turned me on to grandson and you turned me on to young blood. You turned me on to the fever three, three, three. So tell the, so for my, my, some of my aging rock listeners. Uh, to, <laughs> <laughs> now, now is a moment for you to tell people who love rock and roll like you and yes. I do that there is there are albums that are coming out now or in the last few years or about to come out that check a lot of the same boxes that we have loved and adored. What can they listen to now that will make them excited about rock and roll music in 2021? Yeah, and you know, I think it's a great time for rock music. And I think what excites me about the artists you just named is that these artists in particular, you can tell they wear their influences on their sleeves. You know, you can hear Grandson and Fever 3-3, both Rage Against the Machine fans. Mm -hmm. You know, you can hear Youngblood and he pays homage to the Sex Pistols mm -hmm. and the Clash. Mm -hmm. And I love that. They're sort of taking their influences, but then they are putting out a fresh unrelated spin to it. And it's very hard to do those two things because there are other young bands that are very throwback and they're doing, and there's great music. But there's nothing new about it. Yeah. Or you have new artists that have like nothing resembling, yes. <laughs> you know, kind of yeah. older artists. And it's a little too new and too electronic and mm -hmm. too much 808s mm -hmm. without kind of being grounded in the rock and roll. So these artists that we just named all do an incredible job of sort of fusing the two, honoring the past, 
but celebrating the future. Yeah, I mean, and, and just talking yeah. with whether it's grandson or young blood or or machine gun Kelly, like like the, their yeah. their enthusiasm for the genre really feels like mine did. You know what I mean? Like when yes. I was when I had yes. that when I was thirteen and had that Led Zeppelin poster, I was on fire like with my love of rock and roll and kind of like the mission that it that it meant for me you know like and I really feel that and it and you know and there have been periods you know sort of the ebb and flow of of music scenes where sometimes it like rock has for or different genres have felt kind of corporatist in a way you know and Mm -hmm. now there's that certainly exists now in some areas of pop music and this this that and the other where it's a business plan not a not a mission that's defined in your soul and I really feel in in a lot of these new artists that I feel that that it is that they are deeply connected to the thing that you know we love in rock and roll and presenting it in a different way like the way that i look at it and, and i'm very prejudiced in this regard but i believe that the electric guitar is the greatest instrument ever created by mankind that it mm-hmm. that it's able to sort of convey not just for the player but for the listener a kind of sonic experience that there's yeah. that nothing else touches that there's no there's uh, other instruments are beautiful and other instruments are compelling and can make you cry and can whip you up into into a frenzy but strapping on that piece of wood and stepping on a distortion pedal and feeling the air move like out of a Marshall stack whether you're whether it's right behind your back or whether it's a field of 60,000 at, at Reading Reading Festival that there's a unique way that it connects with so there's something in like our reptilian DNA <laughs> that it that it really yes. connects to in a way that feels like the truth and feels powerful and and empowering at the same time. And that's what, you know, when I first was looking at those Led Zeppelin posters and stepped on my first distortion pedal to later today when I'll be in this studio making music, I still feel that vibe. Yes. At the end of the day, rock and roll is a is a feeling. It's mm-hmm. a spirit. It's a religion. It's a it's a power that you really it's not that tangible. So when you have like minded people and you all love it, it's this unbreakable bond. I was at um the James, the James Corden show with Youngblood and Machine Gun Kelly. And I, they were literally having like a powwow and they were genuinely so excited to help bring rock and roll to a whole new generation of kids. Yeah, and I'm yeah. always excited about any artist that is celebrating the guitar, that's celebrating instrumentation and celebrating that rock and roll spirit. Like I'm yeah. all about that. Yeah. I mean, that's what, and honestly, that's what it takes. It takes it takes real, it's not just sort of like the idea of rock and roll. It takes someone, whether it's Elvis or whether it's Jimi Hendrix or whether it's, right. uh, you know, Kurt Cobain or whether it's one of these, you know, young, like someone that connects with, with the yeah. youth of that day and, and, you know, lets them know like, this is the, the shit. Feel, feel it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's something that can't be taught. You have to feel it so yeah. innately and so powerfully that you have no choice yeah. but to share it and spread that love. Yeah. 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 Yes. All right. So in, in conclusion, rock parenthood, you have a young, you have a young rocker in the family. How, yes. how old, what is, first of all, tell our listeners if you care to share your child's name and how old this young rocker is. His name is Cole Hendricks, of course, named after Jimmy. <laughs> and he is 16 months old and he has the best rock tea collection known to man. Like I like mine is pretty strong. I'm rocking my Aerosmith shirt right yes, now. Yes, my, yes, yes. Like mine's my rock tea collection is pretty good. Cole is like gold. Yeah. Like it's 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 insane. Like like limited edition. Like where did he get this? Sure, like, sure, sure, sick. sure. That it's that is sick. that is yeah. one of the one of the great that like 
enjoy it while you can because that yeah. child enjoy it while you can because that kid will be that kid may like one of i have two kids who are now 10 and 11 and my 11 year old he's already like lost on fairfax buying sneakers and whatever like right. the, the, the whatever the streetwear is of the thing but his younger brother got a vintage 1968 led zeppelin shirt for his 10th birthday and where so he's, he's wearing it two days in a row he's wearing it two days in a row so that's a uh, yeah it is the best so 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 do you Aww. have do you have rock aspirations for your t- I mean again like don't ever let them know that you do because then that I know then that, you're right then that's the end of it but uh I mean look he's gonna be raised with it like we like I was naming the photographers before that famous Eddie Vedder uh, shot of him hanging from the rafters by Lance Mercer like I collect all of this rock photography yeah. I have like a huge like rock gallery at home he is going to be surrounded by it he loves the doors and Bowie, like he's like the best yeah. taste. Like yeah. Tom Petty's Wildflowers is his favorite song. Yeah. So like he's already raised in it, yeah. but I am definitely not going to lead or guide him. Like it's, that will be him. It's but key. he yeah. it's part of him no matter what. Yeah. Allison, thank you very much for coming on. This has been Maximum Firepower. I am Tom Morello. Till next time, take it easy, but take it. Let foes of justice tremble. This has been Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. Hear this episode again or listen to past shows right now on the SiriusXM app. Search Maximum Firepower.